0: Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Tuesday, December the 12th, and it's a big day for the Prime Minister as he tries to get his Rwanda asylum plan voted through the Commons. Rishi Sunak has been meeting some of his own MPs at Downing Street in a bid to get them to support the policy. It's after 40 Conservatives hinted they'd either abstain or vote against it. Well, Ashford MP Damien Green leads the One Nation group of around 100 Conservatives.
1: Getting the bill through uh, will of course be a win for the Prime Minister. We want to support him to do that. We've decided to do it because we think it is legally acceptable. We've taken a vast range of legal advice. varying uh, pieces of advice we've had but actually uh, it, is, it is quite close to things that we would disapprove of but no we don't we approve of it we think actually controlling illegal migration is extremely important so we will be backing the bill at this stage but we would not support any amendments that push it further that maybe threaten the uh, legality of the bill uh, if any amendments like that come forward we will oppose them at future stages of the bill obviously there, there are differences of view Uh, within the party. The immediate issue for the government is getting this through second reading. We in the One Nation Group will be supporting him uh, in doing that. And I hope that colleagues uh, in the party can be persuaded that the government has produced a tough but palatable package that we can all get behind for future stages of the bill as well. But certainly we won't accept anything that breaches Britain's international obligations or in any way questions this country's commitment to the rule of law. I think it is an important vote, uh, it's important for the Prime Minister, it's important for the country uh, and so that's why we have taken a, we had a sober discussion, we've got concerns about this bill but we want to get behind it and get the Prime Minister so he can get the bill he's proposed through without any amendments.
0: Now the idea is to send failed asylum seekers to Rwanda in a bid to deter people from crossing the channel to Kent in small boats. The Labour Party confirmed it's going to vote against the legislation later. We've also been getting reaction from Kay Marsh, who works at Samfire in Dover, supporting refugees. She's been speaking
2: to Kate. The constant hassle and the constant issues with it just just keep proving what a bad idea it is and it's completely unworkable. You know, there's people on his own side are turning against him over this, you know, and and saying that it's not going to work for whatever reason. From a humanitarian point of view, uh, it's just, it's more evil. You know, it's more... um, more deterrents that aren't working, Um, we need a whole new approach, don't we? You mentioned just now about uh, it's been a
3: long-winded process. Obviously, this is something that's been around for a little while. For the people that have come to the UK, for those asylum seekers, people that you've been
2: dealing with in Dover, what sort
3: of an impact is this all having on their lives?
2: Well, for anybody currently trying to navigate the asylum system, it is traumatic, you know, more traumatic than it needs to be, more traumatic than it's ever been, I think. There's so much confusion People are unsure, you know, and it's it's at a time when they're quite unsure of their future anyway. And this just adds to that, you know, the emotional burden for these people is—it's it's no laughing matter. It's very serious.
3: What sort of anxiety, so people—is it whether or not they'll be then sent back to their country of origin? Are they apprehensive about being sent to Rwanda? Is it leaving friends and family behind? What sort of what sort of things are really making people anxious?
2: Well, you know, it is Rwanda, but it's not just Rwanda. People, of course, are scared that they might be sent to Rwanda. They're scared that they might be detained. They're—they're they're just scared, you know. Even for people who work in the sector, it's it's very difficult to keep abreast of what's going on and understand the situation, you know, day to day, because it's just changing so quickly. So for people, you know, who might have a language barrier and who, who are going through emotional trauma as it is, you know, it's completely, it's, it's, there's no way they could make sense of it.
3: I remember we heard uh, last week that it's already cost two hundred and forty million pounds, and we're expected to put more money into that in the coming year. From your point of view, where is that money better spent?
2: The money should be spent on safe legal routes for asylum in the UK. Um, For instance, uh, a processing centre in northern France, where people could start their claim. You know, at the moment, uh, you have to be on British soil to start a claim for asylum. Now, we do have resettlement programmes, but the criteria for these are so narrow. The average person, and most people with a legitimate claim to be here, aren't accepted through these channels, you know, so there, there isn't a suitable, safe, legal route to the UK. We need a processing centre or a humanitarian visa scheme. So we think the, the Rwanda scheme in general is just a knee-jerk reaction to an, an immediate situation, you know, it doesn't think uh, the bigger picture, it doesn't think about, you know, if something were to happen, and all of a sudden, it, it you know, it's not safe anymore, it's dangerous, Rwanda becomes a dangerous place, you know, no treaty is going to mitigate every possible danger to these people.
0: Well, you can follow updates on this story by heading to the national pages of Kent Online Plus. We'll have reaction to the result of the vote in bulletins over on our sister radio station, KMFM, tomorrow morning. Kent Online News. I've got some crime news for you next, and police have released CCTV pictures of a man they're hunting after a series of assaults in Dartford last month. A woman's reported to have been attacked with a weapon in Spittle Street. A short time later, a man was hit by a moving vehicle and a third victim was injured in an assault. Well, a 29-year-old Rochester man has already been arrested and bailed. You can see those images today by heading to the website. A drug dealer has been sent to prison after being found with wraps of cocaine, a mobile phone and cash in Tunbridge Wells. Police approached Justin Kohler's car when he was parked in Harmony Street. The 28-year-old, who hasn't got a permanent address, has been sentenced to 20 months behind bars. Meantime, a suspected drug dealer has been arrested in Gillingham. The 20-year-old came to the attention of officers as they were near Woodlands Road last Wednesday. He was searched and police found cash, what's thought to be cocaine and a knife. A banned driver who led police on an hour-long chase through part of Kent has been jailed for just over two years. Robbie Murray reached speeds of more than 100 miles per hour in a stolen Peugeot. He drove on the wrong side of the road and ignored a one-way sign. The 23-year-old who used to live in Thannington, was finally stopped in Canterbury when it happened in January. And two people have been charged following the theft of almost £2,500 worth of alcohol. Between October and December, the man and woman targeted Sainsbury's and Waitrose stores in Tunbridge, Tunbridge Wells and Kings Hill. They're out on bail ahead of a court appearance next month. Now next today, parents across Kent are being urged not to buy their children e-scooters for Christmas. Emails are being sent out by schools reminding mums and dads of the rules around the vehicles. It's come from Crime Commissioner Matthew Scott, the man in the county who oversees the police, where he's been speaking to reporter Chantal Weller.
4: E-scooters are not legal on Kent's roads and pavements. Please do not waste your money buying anybody an e-scooter because they can't use it on public land. Uh, and there are also concerns around some of the devices that you can buy online, the safety of the chargers uh, and also the batteries, which we we know to cause fires. So, I would say to anyone, please do not buy an e-scooter. You are wasting your money.
2: And
3: what about in regards to possibly parents buying them for children? Do you think that that's a possibility?
4: Unfortunately, we know it is. And only yesterday I was visiting a primary school uh, and one of the children there you know, asked me, I've got an e-scooter. Am I allowed to ride it? Uh, and the look on his face when I said, no, you're not supposed to be riding it anywhere in public. Um, Unfortunately, we know of circumstances as well where people have allowed uh, children and others to charge their e-scooters as well, not just uh, almost endorsing their use, but also putting everyone at risk from fire uh, from allowing them to be charged. So uh, as much as children might want one of these devices, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to be the Grinch at Christmas and say, no, you can't have one. You shouldn't have one. Um, Don't waste your money buying one, because there is a risk the police could take it away.
3: There are lots of rules around them, which it seems that people aren't aware of. Why do you think that? It's become such a a difficult thing for people to understand that the rules around them, that they can't be ridden on the roads, that they are classed as a motor vehicle.
4: I think the main reason is the use of the pilot schemes. We had a pilot scheme in Canterbury, for example, uh, and we've got schemes in London. And the number one criticism I get back when I articulate these views about e-scooters is is exactly that. Well, how come I can go to London uh, and rent one? And I think that is at the heart of this confusion in that, because of these public rental schemes, people have believed they are legal when they're not. So there's been an awful lot of confusion around the law on e-scooters as a result of some of these pilot programs. So we have got that message that we need to counter. And there are some people as well who who are doing it deliberately, knowing full well what the law is. Uh, they just think it's easier for them to do and uh, and don't care about anybody else. So we've also got that sort of arrogance to overcome is that as much as you might support the use of e-scooters as part of our mix, I don't uh it doesn't mean that you're allowed one just because you think you are so you 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 know i would say to anyone if you've got an e-scooter don't ride it on public roads either in kent uh, or anywhere uh, because there is a risk that the police are going to take it away.
0: Kent Online reports. A Kent prison where 14 inmates have died in the last two years has been labelled dangerous and struggling by inspectors. Swale side on Sheppey is also said to be having chronic difficulties in recruiting officers and other staff. The watchdog visited in September. They did recognise a reduction in self-harm among men being held there. Police are hunting two men following a break-in at a business in Whitstable. Officers were called to a chemist on the High Street last Wednesday, the suspects were seen in the area on a motorbike. A corner shop near Ashford has been given just a one-star hygiene rating after being found to be selling unsafe food. Issues with cleanliness were also discovered by inspectors when they visited Appledore Village stores last month. Where well, bosses have been warned formal action could be taken against them if things don't improve. Figures out today show another rise in unemployment in Kent, 38,140 people were claiming out of work benefits in the county in October. That's 280 more than the previous month. Now, families living in a part of Dartford are demanding to know what's happening with their local park that's been closed for eight months. The facility at Baker Crescent was shut for refurbishments back in April, but has never reopened. Mum, Yasmin Jackson, has been speaking to reporter Keeley Greenwood.
5: It's been closed since April, so that's over eight months now. And when were you promised it would be open? There kind of wasn't any promise. They kind of just said that they would, they'll fix it and they'll reopen it. But I think they said about three months. Like, I think they said three months, roughly. And is it a popular park? Yes, like there's someone in there every day. Usually of my my son's local school is close and then I go in there with my little son um, after I've dropped him off. Like, we use it, if not, more than three or four times a week. Right, and yeah. it's a nice place that like, just to, like chat to people. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of community. I've met lots of people that live on the site in and around. Like and some people from further down sent like out of West Hill, come in a bit closer from here. Um, and yeah, it is definitely a community. I've spoke to people that have like obviously neighbours and just like community watch and people talk and the so inter- the children as well, certainly. Yeah, definitely, because our gardens are not actually very big on Baker Crescent. They're, well, they're kind of like a bit of a square. They're just, just a little square box and a lot of them are flats as well. So, so most people don't even have gardens and they use that as their where to kick the ball, you know. I'll have picnics, not just use the equipment.
0: You can read Keely's report in full by heading to the website today. Developers Cress Nicholson say they take the safety of playgrounds very seriously. And once the site is safe, it will be reopened for the community. Kent Online reports. This is one of our most read stories on the website today. A Gravesend boy who has an extremely rare genetic condition is in a critical condition in hospital after catching a cold. Lucy's got more for the podcast, Well, five-year-old Carter Gates is currently in intensive care at Evelina
3: Children's Hospital in London. He was rushed there after initially being taken to Darent
0: Valley when he became unwell. His mum, Leanne, has told Kent Online he's still in a critical condition, but they're hoping he'll be well enough to come home for Christmas.
3: Carter has a very rare syndrome called Arid 1B, which is caused by a gene defect and wasn't diagnosed until he was four years old. It means he has muscle weakness, unsafe swallowing and developmental delay. He also has to rely on a ventilator to breathe and can be very vulnerable to viruses. Carter is in year one at Ifield School in Gravesend and his classmates have been sending cards and gifts. His mum says they're all being put in a memory book for
0: him and says it's been so nice to have the community's prayers and support. Thank you ever so much, Lucy, and we do wish Carter a very speedy recovery. In other health news, a Maidstone woman's been reunited with the ambulance team who helped save her life after she had a cardiac arrest at just 26. Frankie Turner's husband initially did CPR after she collapsed at home last December. The couple are now encouraging everyone to learn how to do it. She's waiting for test results to find out why it happened. People living in a village between Ashford and Folkestone say it's already overcrowded and won't be able to cope with a planned 105 home estate. Developers want to build on land near Potton Farm in Selinge and say the site will also have a play area, woodland and wildlife ponds. Again, this is one of our most read stories on the site today because opponents say local schools and GP facilities won't be able to cope. You can let us know what you think by heading to the article and leaving a comment or indeed commenting on our socials. And again, Kent Village could grow by more than 100 homes under new plans to build on farmland. An application's been submitted to develop a site the size of six football pitches in Yielding near Maidstone. An outcome for the proposal is expected early next year. Kent
4: Online reports.
0: A community kitchen in Linsted is being recognised as a nature hero after they started growing their own food in a bid to tackle climate change. Their work to reduce food miles has been recognised by the Kent Wildlife Trust, who are celebrating local eco-initiatives. It's as the final negotiations take place at the COP28 summit in Dubai. Well, Molly Amor is from the Wildlife Trust and she's been speaking to Lucy. There's
3: some nervousness around this COP especially because it's being held in Dubai and the president of the COP talks is uh, the chief executive of an oil company which is a fossil fuel and directly contributes to climate change. So while this is all kind of happening on a global uh, stage, uh, we are obviously eagerly awaiting to see what comes out of the discussions and we really wanted to highlight the importance of local action and how it can make a real difference um, in local communities. So Across our channels over the next few weeks, we're, re- uh, we're introducing people to our nature heroes. So uh, nature heroes are those individuals or groups based in Kent who are taking action for nature and also inspiring others to do so as well. So you'll discover who they are, what they're doing, the actions they're taking and um, what others can do to get involved as well. That's brilliant. And um, who is being featured in the campaign? Do you have any sort of examples of people you're going to be featuring? Yeah, so some of the nature heroes you'll meet are um, our very own area managers and wardens, who are those people on the ground who are taking action to protect and restore our precious reserves. Um, We've got community groups and schools who are integrating sustainability practices into their everyday functioning. We've got families and volunteers who are advocating for a Wilder Kent and spreading the message of why it's really important. Um, We've got farmers and landowners. Uh, who are working together and also sharing knowledge on how to move uh, to a more sustainable farming future that uh,
0: benefits both rural communities and wildlife. And finally today, Medway is getting a share of £5 million to bring historic buildings back into use. It'll be spent on at-risk sites between Rochester and Chatham, including a Grade 2 listed waterworks and former hospital mortuary. It's all part of efforts to revitalise that part of the high street and make the buildings available to the community well that's all from us for today thanks ever so much for listening don't forget you can follow us on facebook x instagram tiktok and threads plus you can get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing to sign up to that you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk
1: news you can trust this is the Kent Online podcast